understand something. The only reason why you and I will not walk in the wisdom of the word is because you think you know better than the word. When you don't do what the word says, you become wiser than the word you profess. See, a wise man will see the word in his wisdom, and if they're going to operate in wisdom as a wise man, and the word is wisdom, then what is a man going to do when it comes down to decision making? He's going to operate in the wisdom of the word as a wise man. Otherwise, they're fools. <laughs> it's that simple. And people have reasons for not doing what the word says. When a husband don't love his wife like Messiah loves his community, that man is a fool. When a wife don't submit to her husband like a wife is supposed to, that woman is a what? A fool. When a child don't obey their parents, that child is a fool. And the reason why people don't do what the word says is because they think they know better than the word. When a person operates contrary to the word, they believe they are wise in their own eyes, but they are operating as a fool because they're operating contrary to what the word says. Salt that has lost its savor. This is a person confessing to be a Christian, confessing to be a believer, but their lives, their actions, their attitudes, and their behavior is contrary to what is written. You want to know if you're wise? Do what the Word says. If you don't do what the Word says and the Word is wise, what does that make you? a form of godliness. That salt that has lost its savor. Again, I ain't making this stuff up, folks. Follow me. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. In this portion of Matthew, the Messiah continues his first public teaching. It is commonly known as the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount. Yeshua's teaching transitions from the blessings to the expected role of his followers in the earth, their ethics, moral codes, and values that we are to live by and how we are to conduct ourselves in the world. In this thought-provoking, life-changing study, Yeshua raises the standard and expectations of the life of the believer and articulates the similarity between the lives of the believers in comparison to his life as Savior of the world. The message title in this podcast is Salt, Light, and the Law. So, let's study. Last week, as we dealt with uh, the first teaching in Yeshua's uh, public ministry, we looked at the Beatitudes, which is known as the the blessing, and identified that that message, which is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. And as Yeshua was teaching, uh, we noted that according to chapter 5 and transitioning into chapter 6, 
that there was a multitude of individuals that had come from all over uh, Syria, from uh, the other side of, of, of the Jordan, from the Decapolis, and from the surrounding areas of Judea in Jerusalem. And so we, we, we saw that this was a vast multitude, a mixed multitude. And when they had gathered, the Bible tells us that Messiah went in the mount and he began to teach as he sat. His disciples came to him. And from that verse, it would seem as if the only ones that he taught was his disciples. But if you go down to the end of chapter 7, because from chapter 5 to, to chapter 7, we see that these teachings go throughout the duration of those chapters. And when he had finished teaching, he came down and it says that that multitude followed him. And so we know that Messiah was teaching and these, we can honestly say without trepidation that those were also Gentiles as well as Hebrew Israelites that were in the mix as he was teaching them. And the thing that he was calling, uh, because we know that he had begun calling his disciples, he had many, many disciples. They weren't all apostles. Some he sent to be apostles. But as he began to teach them, he began to teach them the, the things where the blessings are contained in the word. And where the blessings were contained, Messiah began to identify those who he called to be poor in spirit, those who mourn those who were hungry and thirsty for righteousness. He talked to those who were merciful, calling them blessed are they and those who appear in heart because they would be the ones who would ultimately see the Almighty, the peacemakers, and those who were persecuted. And so when we look at these uh, things that he was referring to, we can begin to see that as believers who follow him, that, that we're going to experience these things. If, if we are peacemakers, if we are pure in heart, if we mourn, if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, then we can expect those things that he said would be for those who were, who were blessed, who did those things, that they would be fulfilled and accomplished in our lives. Then he said, you know, if you were persecuted for righteousness, persecuted for righteousness. Now, when you think about those who don't believe there's none righteous, then you can, you can understand why they would not be persecuted because they would not be walking in righteousness. But there is a righteousness that the Bible is going to refer to. As a matter of fact, he said it, that those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake should rejoice and be exceedingly glad because there's a great reward for them where? In heaven. He also identified that those who came before, the prophets who came before were persecuted and that we too would be persecuted just like they. <laughs> now we know that the reasons why the prophets were persecuted is because they called Jehovah's people Back to Jehovah. Ain't that amazing? The people of Jehovah had strayed so far away from him, and he raised up prophets and said, go get them. <laughs> go and tell them 
Go and speak to them. The prophets weren't sent to the Gentiles, except for when they were running from, you know, there's a couple of situations to where they went to the Gentiles because, of course, Jehovah's people were not necessarily hospitable toward them at that time. And so he said the prophets were persecuted and you're going to be persecuted just like them. And then he transitioned into the ethical and morals that we as believers should live accordingly with values as it related to the kingdom manifesting in our lives. And so these are things or values and, and, and ethics that we should, as believers, conduct ourselves by as kingdom citizens in the kingdoms of the world. Yeshua raises the standard and expectations of the life of the believer and articulates the similarity between the lives of believers in comparison to his life as Savior of the world. And this, brothers and sisters, we'll find that there's a thread throughout the gospel as Yeshua is talking. He's saying, listen, you know, you, you've had the prophets. You've had Moses. You've had the you know, Joshua and, and all of the patriarchs. But then he comes and he demonstrates by taking on human form how we as humans are to operate and conduct ourselves as the sons of God. Now, this past Sabbath, uh, Thursday, we kind of went into that a little in a little detail in dealing with sons of God and looking at the different places where sons of God are identified. So, he says, as the Savior, there are certain ways that we are to conduct ourselves and we are to keep our eyes on him because he is the ultimate example. In verse 13, he opens up, he makes this statement, you are the salt of the earth. And then he says, but if the salt have lost his Savor, notice what it says. Now, is salt he or she <laughs> or it? So he, he's not, he's using the idea of salt in reference to his followers. He's saying, you, you are the salt of the earth. And then he goes and says, now, if you lose your savor, then you're not good for anything. Now, before you can lose it, you have to have had it. <laughs> right? If the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing. Good for nothing. But to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Now, I want you to see something here, brothers and sisters. If you are not salty, the folks around you will trample on you. You're good for nothing. If you're trying to blend in, how many of you know salt don't blend in? <laughs> you see, you can, you can, if <laughs> salt as flavor, salt as preserve, I mean, it preserves it, 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 it's, 
it's, it adds flavor and, and it does something else as we're going to see here in a moment. But if you have lost, if you've lost your flavor, if you've lost your savor, then guess what? The people around you that you're supposed to give some flavor to, the people that you're supposed to preserve, the people that you're supposed to save, the people that you're supposed to introduce to the Most High, the people that you're supposed to communicate His truths to as His representative, as His ambassador in the earth, they won't value you. In fact, they'll try to shut you down. They'll trample on you. You say something and they come out the woodworks at you. Try to shut you up. Go back to your church. Go back to your religion. Go back to wherever you came from, but don't come out here bringing that to us. We don't want to hear it. This is the way Jehovah's people did him. What makes you think they're going to do you any other way? His own people turned on him. What makes you think they're going to do to you? And so the only way you will continue to be the salt of the earth is you maintain your savor. <laughs> and I'm going to show you what, what he's saying here. Salt here is which food is seasoned, sacrifices are sprinkled, those kinds of saline matters used to fertilize arable land. But then there's this other metaphoric response or identity or definition, wisdom and grace exhibited in speech. Wisdom and grace exhibited in speech. I want to make this connection for you. Anyone who had knowledge of the Torah knew of the importance of salt in the sacrifices. Leviticus 2.13 says, In every oblation of thy meat offering shall thou season with salt. Neither shalt thou salt suffer the salt of the covenant, of thy God to be lacking from the meat offerings. With all thine offerings, thou shalt offer salt. So whatever was presented to the Almighty as a sacrifice was what? Salted. Get this. Salt was an ingredient in the incense that was placed in the altar or placed on the altar of incense and before the Ark of the Covenant. Now, those of you who see these furnishings, the altar of incense was right Side the curtain and on the other side of the curtain was the Ark of the Covenant. Incense was taken off of the altar in coals and then taken on the inside once a year to the Ark of the Covenant to be burned during the sacrifice of Yom Kippur. Exodus 30:35 says, And thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection, after the art of the apothecary, tempered together pure and holy. Now, that doesn't give us the insight, but if you look at this particular verse in other versions of the Bible, you'll read, like in the American Standard or New American Standard Version, with it you shall make incense, a perfume, a work of a perfumer, salted, pure and holy. And so one of the ingredients of the incense that burn day and night in the presence of the Almighty was salt. Salt was an ingredient in the incense placed before the, before the Ark of the Covenant on Yom Kippur, Leviticus 16, 12. 
And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire upon the Lord, before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. So now we see the very incense that was on the altar that one of the ingredients was salt was taken inside the Holy of Holies and placed during the sacrifice of Yom Kippur. So Yeshua took the importance of salt ascribed by Jehovah offered in the sacrifices, which was sacred and holy, and ascribed it to believers whom Paul described as living sacrifices. When he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So salt was not to be offered or sacrifice was not to be offered without salt. Every sacrifice had salt on it. It was a covenant of salt. Salt was in the incense, which burned every day. So every day, salt went on the sacrifice, and every day, salt was in the incense. As living sacrifices, every day we ought to be what? Salty. <laughs> now, that, well, as believers who have been given the word of God, we ought to proclaim his word to preserve the earth. Remember, the earth was made by the word. The earth is to, be, is to be preserved by the word. And we are the salt of the earth. So how are we going to preserve the earth? The word. The word in us. Messiah became flesh. The word became flesh. He was a sacrifice. Now, verse 13, he says, if you have lost your savior. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Notice what Yeshua is doing is he's using salt as a metaphor. Salt is being used as a metaphor for wisdom that comes from the word. The believers are to operate in the spirit of wisdom. Jehovah imparts that wisdom in them who receives his word. And it goes all the way back to where, when, well, Exodus 28, 3. When he came down to establishing the priests, Father spoke to Moses concerning them that were responsible for the priest's garment. Notice what he says. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, wise-hearted, whom I have filled, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. Moses imparted the spirit of wisdom to Joshua by laying his hands on him. And Joshua, Deuteronomy 34, 9, the son of Nun was full 
of the spirit of wisdom. But Moses had laid his hands upon him. So that in itself lets us know Moses was filled with the spirit of wisdom. And now he's imparting the spirit of wisdom on Joshua. And the children of Israel hearkened unto him and did as Jehovah commanded Moses. Yeshua, Isaiah 11:2 tells us, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of Jehovah. So what is that to do with us? Yeshua gives us the spirit of wisdom, as Paul says in Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Yeshua Messiah, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now get this, the opposite of wisdom is foolish. The opposite of wisdom is a fool. The fool says in his heart there is no God, right? To lose one's savor is to become a fool. And this is, this is how the word is defined. Have you ever looked this word up, savor? Notice what it says, to be foolish. If, you, if salt loses its savor, what does that mean? You're not operating in wisdom, you're operating as a fool. I didn't make this stuff up. To be foolish, to act foolishly, to make foolish, to prove a person or a thing foolish, to make flat and tasteless of salt that has lost its strength and flavor. So when you lose your savor, you become a fool. One who acts unwise, one who acts foolish. That is the state of the world around us who rejects or fail to walk in the word of truth. <laughs> this is what Romans, now this word savor, I'm going to make the connection here because this word savor is the word for foolish. But here, this, remember this word, moraino, mariano, as some would say. Or Moraino. Now notice in Romans 121 it says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. When the word of Jehovah came to the people, Whoever, see, understand something. The only reason why you and I will not walk in the wisdom of the word is because you think you know better than the word. When you don't do what the word says, you become wiser than the word you profess. See, a wise man will see the word in his wisdom, and if they're going to operate in wisdom as a wise man, and the word is wisdom, then what is a man going to do when it comes down to decision-making? He's going to operate in the wisdom of the word as a wise man. Otherwise, they're fool. <laughs> it's that simple. And people have reasons for not doing what the word says. 
When a husband don't love his wife like Messiah loves his community, that man is a fool. When a wife don't submit to her husband like a wife is supposed to, that woman is a what? A fool. When a child don't obey their parents, that child is a fool. And the reason why people don't do what the word says is because they think they know better than the word. When a person operates contrary to the word, they believe they are wise in their own eyes, but they are operating as a fool because they're operating contrary to what the word says. Salt that has lost its savor. This is a person confessing to be a Christian, confessing to be a believer, but their lives, their actions, their attitudes, and their behavior is contrary to what is written. You want to know if you're wise? Do what the Word says. If you don't do what the Word says and the Word is wise, what does that make you? A form of godliness. That salt that has lost its savor. Again, I ain't making this stuff up, folks. Follow me. That word fool is the same word for savor. Look it up. It's the same word. See here? Fools, mo, ra, eno. Right? Same word. Look it up. You got a Bible dictionary, I hope, or concordance. 1 Corinthians 1.20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Now notice, he's going to come later. Messiah is going to say, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribe and the Pharisee. Paul is writing, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Of this world? Have not God made foolish the wisdom of this world, this word, foolish, same word. Fool, foolish, one who has lost savor. We're not here to just exist. We're here to conquer. We're here to take dominion. We're here to change the world. We're here to speak the word. Like when Paul, when, when the Bible says Moses laid his hands on Joshua, when Joshua, now understand something. Moses and Aaron didn't enter into the kingdom or into the, well, they didn't enter into the kingdom of Israel, the land of Israel. They didn't. Joshua and Caleb did. Aaron didn't get to see it. Moses was taken to the mountaintop, was able to look in, but wasn't able to enter in. Why? Disobedience. They failed to glorify Jehovah at a moment when Jehovah said, glorify me. Do what I say. Say, speak to the rock. Nope. He hid it. Why? Because the people frustrated him. Saints, don't let the people around you frustrate you. Why? Because when you allow people to frustrate you, you act unbecoming of a saint. Your response to people who frustrate you 
enable you to move into your fleshly carnal self. And now for that moment of carnality, you're acting like a fool. When you're screaming and arguing and running around, threatening folks, talking about you're going to run away, talking about, you know, you don't, you, you don't love me. Let me tell you something. Biblical love will always come with discipline and correction. A parent who don't love their child will not discipline them. And guess what? Brothers and sisters, whoo, husbands who don't give their wives the word, don't love them. Wives who don't give their husbands the word, don't love them. Parents who don't give their children the word, don't love them. Children who don't honor their parents who've given them the word, don't love them. The word corrects. The word chastens. The word is designed to get us to behave like we are supposed to behave if we want the blessings and the favor of the Most High. And you can't be mixing it. I'm going to show you why it's dangerous to do that. Colossians 4, 5, walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. Notice this, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with what? So what, what does Messiah say? You are, the, you are the salt. See, if you are the salt of the earth, then guess what? Your words, your speech is always going to be seasoned with what? Salt, the wisdom of the word. <laughs> ah. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, Colossians 4, 6, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. See, this is why you got to be slow to speak, slow to anger, slow to wrath, quick to hear. We have to identify and recognize. Let me tell you something. <laughs> when two people have been become, have been together for a long period of time, it's easy to start taking that other person for granted. It's so easy. You become familiar. When you become familiar with one another, there's a tendency to deal with each other from a carnal, human, fleshly perspective. Let me tell you something. 
As believers, we're always supposed to deal with one another in accordance to the word. What if your husband is not acting according to what the word says? Does that give you a right to act contrary to what the word says? What if your wife is not acting the way the word says? Does that give you the right to act contrary to what the word says? What if your business partner, your boss, your employees, does that give you right? Because see, ultimately, who are you going to have to give an account to? And he's going to hold you account, regardless to what the people around you do, regardless to what they say, regardless to how they behave, regardless to how the world conduct itself, it gives you no right because the moment you start responding to the world around you, you lower the standard that the Almighty has established you in. You have no right to lower the standard, salt, that has lost its savor, even for a moment. This is why we have to be quick to, 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 to repent, but if we're quick to hear and slow to wrath, and slow to speak, we will be less prone to do or say something that will require repentance. You have to think about what you're about to. See, most people only look at that immediate gratification without thinking about the long-term consequences of a word that they're about to speak or a behavior they're about to conduct themselves in. Everything you do, everything you do, will require some response. You can't breathe without changing the space around you. If you move your arm and somebody is close to you, they'll feel a draft. Why? Because your movement changes your space. For every action, there is a reaction. When you make a decision, you force people around you now to evaluate the decision that you have made and now they got to decide how they're going to respond to your decision. Upset with your wife, got children in the house, and you start arguing, guess what? You're affecting that, that space, those children. What are you teaching them? What are they hearing? What are they seeing? Are you teaching them how to be a man? Are you teaching them how to be a woman? Are you teaching them how to be a husband, how to be a wife? What are you teaching them? Because when you look at it, we become somewhat the spitting image of the folks who raised us. Why? Because we were born in sin and shapen in iniquity. We learn how to speak. It's amazing that because you're born in English, you don't speak Chinese. But if you were born in China, <laughs> your first words are not things somebody taught you, it's what you've heard. You formulate your own mouth to say, mama, daddy, dada, whatever it is. 
Now, of course, children, they learn the language based on the environment that they're brought up in. In order to learn a language that is different than the environment that you were brought up in, you now have to do something intentional. Learning how to speak English comes natural to those who are raised up in an English-speaking home. Learning how to speak Swahili or China or, or, or whatever language, Russia, whatever language you learn how to speak, you learn how to speak that language simply from the environment you were raised up in. It's what shapes you. Your home environment shapes you. If you're a deadbeat dad, if you had a deadbeat dad, I'm going to tell you, it's, it's, it's not too unlikely you'll become one. There are certain things in order to keep those things from manifesting in our lives, we got to break those cords. Because there are things in you that were simply there, deposited because of the environment. And this is why the Almighty says, listen, mom, dad, live according to the Torah and teach your children. See, we teach not only from what we say, but from what we do. That's how Messiah taught. There are a lot of things Messiah didn't say, he just did. He didn't need to be taught. He didn't need to tell us we should keep the Sabbath. He kept the Sabbath. Right? Did he not go to the Sabbath on the synagogue? Every Sabbath, that was his custom. So, so he says, listen, the things that I do, what are you going to do? You ought to do what I do. The works that I do, you should do. The Bible says that Yeshua began to teach but he also did. That's the whole purpose of having folks follow him. You don't need to follow somebody to hear what they got to say. Just give them a tape. <laughs> right? Give them, a, give them a cassette. Give them a CD. Listen to that. He called them to follow him so that they could see how he lived. See what he did. And he said, the, the works. Now, he didn't say, the things that I said, you shall say. He said, the, the works that I do, you shall do. It was only when he sent them out, he says, now, when you go, teach them the things that I taught you. But the works is the works you saw. Do what you see me do. So, James wrote, out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things should not be so. This is why some of you, you you've heard me uh, uh, state. See, profanity, the root of profanity is profane. If, if somebody uses profanity, that indicates a profaneness within them. The responsibility of the priests and the prophets is to teach the people the difference between that which is holy 
and that which is profane. When people use profanity, it just shows you that you're in the presence of somebody who, has, who is profane. When we speak, we're not to speak. How many times do you see Yeshua using profanity? How can one who follow him then use profanity? Where does that come from? It didn't come from his teachings. It came from their shapen and the iniquity, the environment. And now you got folks who are trying to judge. Well, that, you know, brother, that's just the way people talk now. Okay. So you just like the people. Um, nobody influenced me. Well, where'd you learn that from? Unless they learn it at home. If I'm not using that kind of language in my house, see, then if my children are using it, it didn't come from me. I've taught before that, you know, husbands and wives need to learn how to fight. You need to learn how to argue. There's nothing wrong with arguing. Arguing is an indication of a disagreement. But here's the thing, wise people work through and resolve their disagreements, how? Through communication. If I don't understand you, then how can I agree with that? Help me understand what you're trying to say, bro, because I ain't getting it. Now, oh, oh, now I get it. You see. But if you don't know how to communicate, and, and, and if you can't get your wife or your child or your husband to understand what you're saying, how in the world are you going to minister to folks? Your first ministry is right there in that house. That's where your first ministry. And I'm going to, you know, I was, I was, ooh-wee. <laughs> this morning I was having this conversation in my head. And I was somehow on, on, on Paul's thorn in the flesh. And, and I was thinking about my thorns in the flesh. And you know, the biggest thorn in my flesh has been my wife. And she would say the same thing about me. The person that gets on her nerve more than anybody is me. Guess who gets on my nerve more than anybody? She do. But I love that woman. I couldn't imagine not having her around getting on my nerves. As a matter of fact, when she ain't been around getting on my nerves, it's like I miss it. It's like that's sick, isn't it? But do you know that there are people that Father has ascribed to get on your nerves? Wives can only go so far, but there are other people that he've assigned to cross your path to see if there's any cuss in you. Oh, and if it's there, they'll find it. They'll bring it out. They will push, 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 shake, rattle, roll. And if it's there, <laughs> it's going to find its way to the surface. And the sooner the better. Because the sooner you can identify it, the quicker you can con confront it and correct it. 
I had an English teacher, as you've heard me say. She used to say, profanity is a feeble mind trying to express itself verbally. It's what it is. Why you got to use cuss words that don't clearly articulate what you're trying to say. We're using words that don't even have the right definition in sentences that doesn't communicate what it is you're trying to say. And you don't have the patience or the vocabulary to search the Rolodex of words with the proper definition to communicate to somebody so that when you speak, they understand you. Out of the same mouth proceeded blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh? Who is a wise man and endured with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Now, in the season we're in, and, and, and here's the thing that is, that is really, that I've, I've struggled with, and I struggle with this every year. You see, I don't have a problem with Christmas as long as the world is doing it. My problem is when church people Believers try to bring Christmas and incorporate Jesus or Yeshua. It's like, what has Yeshua got to do with Christmas? Here's another thing. And if people really search their hearts, they will have to identify the fact. The reason why people want to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ is because they want to celebrate their own birthday. That's what they want to do. They want to celebrate their own birthday, but they can't justify it biblically. So if we can find Jesus' birthday and celebrate his birthday, then okay, it's okay. Let me tell you something. If, if, if the, the Almighty don't have a problem with dates, you know that. He tells us, he, he, he gives us precise dates you know when the Sabbath day is every seventh day. It's the seventh day. You know when Passover, the 14th of, of Eve. You know when first day of unleavened bread, the 15th. You know when the, the, the 21st. Why? Based on counting. You know when Pentecost is because you're going to count 50 days from first fruits. You know the seventh month. The first day is trumpets because the first day of the month is the new moon. You know, 10 days from there is Yom Kippur, right? And you know, from that point, the 15th is tabernacles. How come we don't know the day Jesus was born? I, I would say to you, if Father wanted you to know, he would have made it very clear, just like he has made clear all the dates he wants you to know.
He don't have a problem being clear. So why is it that, see, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> the folks who are really big on this reject all that other stuff I just mentioned you. <laughs> Father gave us a, a weekly feast, and then he gave us annual feasts. And then he gave us time in between to plan. He didn't just pounce the seventh day. Why do people want to wait until the seventh day to go shopping? Do it on the sixth day. It's not like you don't know it's coming. <laughs> oh my goodness. In this season, it's easy to recognize those who've lost their savior. Those who go from just joking to being serious. This is one of the reasons why you won't hear me or see me doing a lot of joking and, and practical jesting and all of that stuff. Because here's the thing about, um, especially children. If you're always joking, and then you get serious, then how do they know? If you got, if you got preachers who are joking around, and then they get serious, how do you know? Practical jokesters. Those who go from just joking to being serious. Those who mix the word with tradition. Why do I need to add tradition to the word when the word tells me don't add to it? Those who teach the word. And I saw this. I saw this. That was a bishop, man, and this guy was, he was teaching Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That's what he was teaching. How Rudolph had a complex about being rejected. Oh, but when, when Santa Claus chose him, all of a sudden that rejection complex was no longer there. Now all the other reindeers loved him. It's like, really, Bishop? How, how did Jesus get in your sermon? And then watching churches with their Christmas trees, those who put Christmas decorations, and I, 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 I did a word there. I changed Christ to Messiah, and I see it took Messiahmas, which makes no sense. See, Messiah mass. See, it don't even fit, do it? You got to put Christ there for it to fit. And this is why I don't consider myself a Christian. Because with Christian comes Christ. With Christ comes Christmas. With Christmas comes, with, with Christ comes Sunday. With Christ comes Easter. With Christ come all of the church stuff. Whereas with Messiah, who is the Savior, comes all the biblical stuff. <laughs> See, when you, when you move from Christ to Messiah, 
it's hard to fit church stuff in it. It's amazing how you get to the New Testament and you get this word called Christ, who's supposed to be in the Old Testament, but you can't find him. You can't find him. What do you find? You find the anointed one. You find the Messiah, the, the Mashiach. That's who you find. And what you have in Greek, Christianity, is people taking the Hebrew definition and ascribing it to an English word. Doesn't matter what you say. You can't do that. That's, that's a violation of language. Now, you'll find those who got their decorations, and, and, and this, is the, this is the one that really that really gets me is parents teaching their children about Santa Claus. And some even go into far as say Santa Claus is real. You tell me, Mama, Santa Claus is real and Jesus is real too. Right? So if you say Santa Claus is real and Jesus is real, and then you come around and tell me Santa Claus ain't real because I done grown up and I know better now, then was Jesus not real either? Those who tell their children Santa Claus is real while telling them that, you know, Jesus saves. Those who tell their children it is a sin to lie while lying. Those who say things like Jesus is the reason for the season. You just connected Jesus to all that nonsense. How do you go from jingle bells to silent night? From Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer to oh come ye all ye faithful. I was, I was, I, I was listening to the radio yesterday. Where was it? Yesterday, yeah. I had to turn it off. I, I just couldn't take it. In between Jingle Bells and Silent Night and Come O Ye Faithful and Little Drummer Boy and, you know, all, all this, it's like, you know, it's such a mixture that is taking place among individuals. And then seeing preachers and pastors running around and, and choirs with their Santa Claus hats on and, and praise dancers, you know, with, it's like, man, you guys are so confused here. No wonder the world around you is confused. Why do we have to try to blend in the world to win the world? Why do we have to do that? Wife, why did you marry that husband of yours? Because he was like everybody else? You could have chose any man. Why did you marry that woman? Because she was just like everybody else? See, in the areas that we see important, we are particular. We are specific. And then want to generalize the word, which is the most important thing in the world, brothers and sisters. Let me get back on topic. Ye are the light of the world, a city 
that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Psalms 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So what's, what's the light? The word. John 9, 5, as long as I'm in the world, Yeshua said, I am the light of the world. Who was Yeshua? He was the word made flesh. In his human form, John 1, 8 says he was not that light, John the Baptist. John wasn't, wasn't the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. What light? Messiah. That was the true light, which lighteth every man. The true light, which lighteth every man. It's not the man who lights. It's the word who lights every man. That word was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's that Shekinah, brothers and sisters. That's that bright, that's that light, which the word is, that is a lamp and a light. It guides. It helps us to understand what truth is and distinguish it from that which is not truth. Yeshua's hidden heavenly name. Now, we've pointed this out before, but we'll point it out again. People call him Yeshua. People call him Jesus. How many of you know? That was the name, his, Yeshua was the name father told his mama to give him as a child. But what was his heavenly name? Revelation 19, 11, and I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew, but he himself. So the entire time Yeshua was on the earth with his disciples, nobody knew his name. He's the only one who knew his name. You got people arguing, well, is it Yeshua? Well, is it Jesus? Well, there's no greater name than, than, you know, than that name. Well, what was his name? <laughs> According to heaven, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. You want to know what his true name is? You can argue over Yeshua, Yahshua, Yahashua. You can argue over all of that if you want to. <laughs> but his true name is the word. By no other name shall a man be saved. The word is what's going to save us. It's not the name you call him. It's who he is. The word of God. The word became flesh. The word which was with him from the beginning. The word that is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end and everything in between. So what are we to proclaim? You're out here arguing about what his name is. Well, you know, what you focus on is the word. Tell people what the words say. I'm going to tell you something. You know, here's the thing I couldn't understand. All the time I was growing up in, in church and all the time I was in church. Because in the Baptist tradition, you know, the gospel of, of, of the kingdom is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. So every sermon you have an altar call and invite people to accept Jesus in their heart. 
We look around and we see people who've been in church most of their lives and they still don't know the word. They don't know it. They're operating like worldly people. Oh, yeah, they're holy on Sunday. But they will cuss you out. They will cuss you out. Oh, you say the wrong thing. And don't start talking about Christmas. What do you mean Christmas ain't the baby, ain't the birthday of Jesus? You better get the out of here. It's like, really? With all this time you've been in church and you don't know that mama? Daddy, come on now. Y'all know, y'all know December 20th. You know that's not his birthday. How can you do that? Well, it's the day we chose. And who told you to choose a day to begin with? Who gave you that instruction? Where is that written that we have to celebrate his birthday? Where is that written at? That's why you don't know when it is. Some say it's Hanukkah. He was born on Hanukkah. Some say he was born on Passover. Some say he was born on trumpets. Some say he was born on tabernacles. If you're on the internet, you'll see all that. Well, when was he born? In the church talking about December 25th, but we know that ain't his birthday. Then why are you celebrating that day? Why you got to do that? Well, we just need to celebrate his birthday. Why? Because we like celebrating birthdays. And where is that at? Father gave us the stuff he wants us to celebrate. Isn't it amazing? You find one birthday in the Old Testament by a heathen. Now, the Bible tells us clearly, do not practice the way of the heathen. You see, people want to argue about Christians celebrating Christmas as paganism when celebrating birthdays is pagan. Oh, it's quiet in here now. Oh, it's just as pagan as Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I said it. Again. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, you may not see what I just said as light. But some of y'all did. Some of y'all say, yeah, that's right. That's right. And the rest of y'all is like, man, get them out of here with that stuff. If I want to celebrate a birthday, I celebrate a birthday. I don't care what you say. And go ahead. That's your prerogative. Light is being used in comparison to darkness. Works of light are of those who walk in the light that it is clearly seen they are wrought of God. John 3, 19, verse 21, or 19 through 21. Look at what it says. And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds, their works, were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hates the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that cometh, that doeth truth, what's truth? His word. 
He that doeth truth cometh into the light. That his deeds, works may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. And I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. For those who say you can't keep the Torah, guess what? Joshua and Caleb seem to have had a pretty good relationship with the Almighty through all of this nonsense. The people who decided they weren't going to mix what they heard with faith. Let me tell you something. The Torah, apart from faith, cannot be pleasing to the Almighty. If you're keeping the letter of the law and you don't understand the spirit of the law, see, the spirit of the law is love. Why? Because God loved the world. He loved the world. You correct your children because you love them. Why do they need correcting? Because they're doing something they shouldn't be doing. Well, what are they doing? Because when they're doing the things they're supposed to be doing, you don't need to correct them, do you? Now you just say, good job. Give them a pat on the head. That a boy. Catch them doing something good. This is one of the areas where I lacked. You see them doing good, you just say, hey, that's what they should be doing. Right? So, you know, just, hey, good that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. See? Instead of every time they do something wrong, you catch them. <laughs> And, and, and this, is, this is one of the issues, brothers and sisters. This thing works in a lot of different ways. If, if, the, if, if the only time you saw correction or attention is when you're doing something wrong, then if you want attention, what do you do? Something wrong. Works of darkness are the works of those who walk in darkness. God is light and in him is no darkness. Think not that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, dissolve. That's, that's, that's one of the words there, but to fulfill. Destroy means, and the key is dissolve. To demolish. Now here's what some people hear. He didn't come to destroy the law. He just came to dissolve it. He just came to do away with it. He just came to demolish it. It's like, okay, where you get that from? One of them Sunday sermons. The word there is destroy. He did not come to destroy. He did not come to dis dissolve. He did not come to overthrow, to render useless, to bring to naught, to annul, to abrogate, to discard. He didn't come to do all of that. Then, then, then what did he do? He came to fulfill. What does that mean, to fulfill? See, when Yeshua came, he fulfilled prophecy. Did he do away with the prophecy? Because prophetically, he's coming back. So if he's coming back, is the prophets all been fulfilled? No. Now, there are things 
that are in the word. Can I give you some prophetic insight? I will give it to you anyway. Prophecy. Here's some prophecy for my prophetic people. Diligently hearken to obey all these laws and all these blessings will come upon you. That's prophetic. (laughs) Right? If you disobey all these commandments that I'm giving you today, then all these curses will come upon you in abundance. That's prophetic. Now look at your life. What's being fulfilled? Blessings or curses. That's all you got to look at your life. Are you lacking? Are you hurting? Are you sick? Are you dealing with all kinds of diseases? Well, brother, now you're stepping out there too far. No, look in, the, look in Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 and following, and see the stuff. Just look at that. You don't find that in Deuteronomy up until verse 14. You don't see none of that. Now, here's the thing. There are things that we've sown that we're reaping. But how many of you know healing, deliverance, wholeness, is the children's bread. We did stuff out of ignorance. Many of us, because our parents didn't teach us, they taught us that Sunday stuff. They, they taught us all that stuff we learned in church and Christ and, and all that stuff. And now that, that our eyes have been opened and we're starting to see, what we see is that a lot of things we, we learn and practice open the door for the enemy to bring stuff in that shouldn't have been amongst us. Now the key is how do we get it out? Prophetically, diligently hearken to obey the commandments. You want the blessing. See, and here's, here's, the, here's the futility of religion. Religion wants the blessings without the obedience to the commandments that brings the blessings. You can't have the blessings of the commandments without obeying the commandments. That would be father saying, hey, disregard all that stuff, because this is what the church wants you to do. Disregard all that stuff. We're going to get you the blessings anyway. And you know how you get blessed? How you get really, really, really blessed? Can I tell you how to get really, really, really blessed? Give me a lot of money. Just give me all your money. Now, you know, people say, well, bro, I'll do it. I'll do it. Uh, now, here's the folks that has been gnashing their teeth at me because of the stuff I'm saying. And there it is. He wants your money. Why are you upset? Now you're happy because you didn't hurt it, right? See? I just called you out, dusted you. And, and, and everything that I said up until this, this point made a lot of people mad. How many of you know mad people don't give much? They really don't. <laughs> they don't. 
You, 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 you make the people up in the church mad and see how much your offering is. You tell them stuff they don't want to hear and see how much they put in that offering basket. <laughs> this ain't how you get rich. But let me tell you something. If you obey the commandments, you can't help but become wealthy. You can't help it. Why? Because it's incorporated in his word. All these blessings will come upon you in abundance. So what should be your focus? See, I'm going to tell you something, brothers, sisters. We got to get in our head his truth so we're not just saying it with our mouth. We're walking it out. See, when you start walking it out, guess what happens? Father says, okay, I need to prove myself to this person. His word does not return to him void. Now, remember when we did many years ago, uh, true biblical prosperity, prosperity looks different for everybody. Everybody has a different understanding of what prosperity is. You say, well, are you a prosperity preacher? Oh, you can't be a Torah teacher without being a prosperity preacher. If you're a prosperity preacher teaching against the Torah, you're teaching lies. And the only person who's going to prosper is you. And you know how? Give me all your money. God will bless you. That's not how it works. How it works is you obey his commands. And guess what? He starts lining stuff up in your life. He starts opening your eyes and showing you stuff. He starts leading you and guiding you. He starts making your enemies at peace with you. He starts causing folks in other countries to start looking for you. He starts finding folks who want to bless you. You just start walking in blessings. Man, you, go, you get up today and, and start, just go outside the, the, the door and, and folks just want to, man, bless you with a smile. Hey, how you doing? I want to buy you lunch. They'll pull over when you got a flat. They won't charge you for this or that. There's ways that the Almighty will get to you. Now, here's the thing. Don't look for the blessings. Look for, the, look for him. Seek first his kingdom. And then all this other stuff. See, that's a New Testament promise. Seek first his kingdom. And what? His righteousness. Well, how do I seek for his righteousness? Oh, we about to get to it. And I need to move because I'm not, I got a little bit more time. Notice this. To fulfill, to cause God's will as made known in the law, to be, observed, to be obeyed as it should be. And his promises given through the prophets. See, the problem with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Bible said, Yeshua said, listen, Moses gave y'all the law and none of y'all keep it. How can you not recognize who I am and you keeping the law? Search the scriptures because what? It speaks of me. So if you've been searching the scriptures, you would know what I look like. You know the words that I'm saying to you, their spirit, their life. The words that I, am I saying anything to you that is contrary? See, they didn't have a problem. They couldn't find fault with what Yeshua taught. Well, we're not trying to stone you because of this or stone you because of that. We're not trying to kill you. We're saying you said you the son of God. 
Well, aren't we sons of God? What does the Bible say? Those who are led by the Spirit are the... Remember, those of you who were here on Thursday, how many of you have heard about the daughters of men and the sons of God? And the sons of God being giants and Nephilims. Well, who are they in the New Testament? Those who are led by the Spirit? Are you telling me the fallen angels, the fallen spirits from heaven are being led by the Spirit? Those who are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Now are you the sons of God. You follow what I'm saying? So, so most people can't hear them being a son of God because they have identified sons of God with giants and Nephilims and fallen spirits. And it's hard to embrace you being sons of God. And if you're sons of God, guess what? God is your father. And if God is your father, then guess what? He's big G. I'm little G. The Bible says, did I say you were sons? You are gods. You are gods. How can you be? See, if, 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 you're the, if, if you are Moses ben Aaron, there's no problem for you to accept the fact that you are the son of Aaron and therefore you can be like Aaron. If Aaron's got a business and you work in the business, the business becomes yours because why? You are the heir. It's nothing for a son to believe they can grow up and be like their father. <laughs> Can you imagine being like yours? Because understand, you got two. You got your earthly, and you got your heavenly. Guess who Yeshua modeled himself after? Joseph? Joseph ain't even in the picture. I hope y'all getting this usage to fulfill, feel, to full, to make full. Yeshua did not come to dissolve or do away with the law. He came to fulfill all that the law, the prophets, and the Psalms said about him. This is what Luke tells us. This is Yeshua saying. And beginning at Moses and all the, the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning him. This was after the resurrection. Luke 24, 44. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Yeshua fulfilled those things that were concerning him, but there are still things concerning him that has not yet been fulfilled. And this is why he's going to say heaven and earth will pass away or will not pass away before all those things are. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. All has not been fulfilled. The law was given from the mouth of God, whereby Jehovah's people were to live by. 
the prophets were sent by Jehovah to call his people back to the law of Jehovah. The law would not pass away until all things spoken of by the law and prophets were fulfilled. So he said, whoever therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments and should teach men so shall be called the least in the kingdom and in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And that least there is smallest, least. It's a different than he says those who John the Baptist was the greatest prophet. That's micro, micro. That's a different least. Not the same to be confused with this least, which is elekisto. And it, it means in size, in amount. The least of these, very small. Great means to be mega. The eternal form, great as it is used. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Now understand what he's saying. Righteousness exceeding. Well, how do your righteousness exceed? How does that work? No, notice the context. You shall not enter the kingdom. How do you enter in the kingdom? Faith. Faith in who? Messiah. If the scribes and Pharisees are rejecting the Messiah, how do you enter in? You don't follow them. You accept. So what is righteousness? To enter the kingdom, you must be born again. To be born again, one must receive Yeshua. The scribes and Pharisees did not keep the law, rejected Yeshua, and sought the praise of men. The law was righteous. Deuteronomy 4, 6, 7. These are not Moses' words. These are the words that are given. He says, for what nation is there so great who has God so nigh unto them as Jehovah our Elohim is in all things that we call upon him. And what nation is there so great that has statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law, which I said before you today, the law is righteous, right? Those who lived according to the flesh could not walk in the righteousness of the law. And this is how Paul explains it and we'll bring it to a close. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. What is lawlessness? What is, what is sin? Sin is a violation of the law. Is what it is. Now, I want you to see this. There's me and there's the law. Now, my neighbor has a fine, beautiful wife, and he likes to go on long trips. So now, that's what the law says, don't covet your neighbor's wife. Well, if I'm obeying the law, I'm not coveting. But that doesn't stop her from being fine and beautiful. And there's, there's something in me saying, hey, you know, my, I wish my wife looked like that. But she don't. And he gone. And she mad. Maybe I need to mend her fence. Maybe I need to take over some, some eggs, some sugar, or something. See, I got no business being over there. 
I got no business whatsoever being over there. And if these thoughts are going on in my head, what is my job? Pull them down. Take authority over them. Turn your head. Don't look. Because if your eye is causing you an offense, gouge it out. But if I can't do it because I'm weak in the flesh, what am I going to do? And this is where adultery comes in. And you know, it's sad that there are too many saved folk committing adultery. Saved folk. Love the Lord Jesus, Yeshua, Yasha, Yehoshua. Lusty after another man's wife. And she don't even have to be another man's wife. Lusting after somebody who ain't his wife or her husband. Talking about you saved. What part of your Holy Spirit is going to lead you to violate God's word? Are you being led by the Spirit? Because my Bible says those who are led by the Spirit, they're the sons of God. So if I'm being led by the Spirit, the Spirit is going to say, don't do that, bruh. Why? Because that's sin. And guess what the wages of sin is? Now, if I do it, guess what? I just open the door for a whole lot of other spirits to come in, namely lying. Because one day my wife going to see me looking at the corner of my eye. She's going to ask me, what you looking at? Nothing. Something going on between you and the name? No. You imagining stuff. Secrecy. Hiding. Lying. Deception. Self-deception. And the devil said, I got him that. I got him that. See, we are not to give place to the devil. And guess what? The thing that keeps me, see, I would not have known I wasn't supposed to do that if it wasn't written in the law. Most people know they're not supposed to have sex with animals. Most people. But everybody don't know that. It's not written in the New Testament, don't do that. And there are people who want to argue about eating pig, but they won't eat skunk. They won't. Why ain't you eating skunk, bro? God made all things clean, right? <laughs> it's some of the stupidity that you hear coming out of people. It just makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And these are supposed to be wise folk. It says that the righteousness of the law, the righteousness of the law, See, the Bible has already declared the law is righteous. Paul is saying that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So you see what's going on here. Without the Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm battling my flesh. With the Holy Spirit, what is the Holy Spirit reminding me of? Thou shalt not covet. Thy neighbor's wife. Thou should not covet thy neighbor's wife. Thou should not covet thy neighbor's wife. Now I got to resist the spirit to covet. I got to grieve the spirit to give in to that carnal, fleshly, sinful nature. 
And what Paul is saying, listen, there's a righteousness of the law that it didn't stop Israel from violating the law except for those who had the Spirit of God. Those who are operating by the Spirit. Those who walked and were led by the Spirit. Are you saying people were led by the Spirit in the Old Testament? You didn't know that? They were. We just, we read some of them. Moses laid hands on who? Joshua. The 70 elders were filled with the Spirit. What spirit? The spirit that was on Moses. Who put that spirit on Moses? Jehovah. Right? Now, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. To be carnally minded is death. Wait a minute. I thought the wages of sin was death. <laughs> See, those who are carnal are not operating by the Spirit. If you're walking in your flesh, absent of this word, guess what? You're headed straight to damnation. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. There's the Spirit. Because the carnal man, the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You can't, you, I don't care how, how much you are filled with the Holy Ghost. If you're operating in the flesh, you can't please him with all your Holy Ghost. See, if you're, if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, then you, sh you should be led by the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, is going to keep you from walking in your carnal, lust, natural self. He says, but you are not in the flesh. Get this, you're not in the flesh. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, are you? See, here's your, here's your struggle daily, to be led by the Spirit or to walk in your carnal nature. To please self or please God. You're constantly going to be dealing with this issue. Do I please me or do I please God? I can't please God in my carnal nature. The only way I can please God is in the spirit. So what am I job? Stay in the spirit. Stay in the spirit. Stay in the spirit. Well, what about when people try to draw me into the natural? What about when people come at me? What about when people start pushing my buttons, dismantle them? Stay in the spirit. Because the moment you step out of the Spirit, the moment you're no longer walking and being led by the Spirit is the moment you're in the carnal flesh. And you can't please God in that area. You can't please Him in that. You have to stay in the Spirit. You have to be able to recognize when you are straying from the Spirit. And the best, the best way to know that is know what his words say. Now, but you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Messiah, he is none of his. 
Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.